Well, parenting can be unbelievably rewarding. It really can. For Roxanne and me, there's nothing on the planet that enlarges our hearts more than our children. And now, because of where we are in life, they're children. But, but let's just be honest with each other. Parenting isn't easy. I mean, it is one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. And, and yet, God tells us how we can successfully pursue it. The truth this weekend goes a long way at explaining at least one of the big reasons that parenting isn't easy. And here's the truth. Good parenting requires learning and practicing self-control. Self-control. See, most people think of parenting as, okay, now I've got to control these little kids that have been put into my life. That is not parenting. Parenting is learning and practicing self-control so that you can teach the kids self-control. Because you see, if we try to control our kids, number one, we can't do it, and number two, we won't be with them all the time. If they don't learn self-control from us, they have no hope or prayer in the world, which explains a lot that goes on in our world. Parenting isn't easy because it requires those of us who parent to practice self-discipline. God tells us this one real powerful phrase where he makes it clear is Ephesians 6, 4. It's in the midst of a very important relational passage in the book of Ephesians. And he says, fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. That word exasperate is really kind of provoked to anger that will be suppressed under them and in, inside of them. And he's saying, don't use your authority, your influence as a parent to needlessly provoke your kids to anger. It exasperates them because they can't do anything about it. Out of fear, they let their anger go underneath and it starts damaging them on the inside like lava inside a volcano. It one day will explode and eat everything out of their lives and it'll damage your relationship and influence in their lives. And so we, we have to exercise self-control. I mean, we have the choice. Are we going to exasperate them or not? Are we going to approach our authority and our use of influence correctly or not? In fact, here, here's what I think we need to understand. Um, I want to lay out what that passage does and does not mean as it relates to parents' control. And, and then, once we have that established, I want to give you 10 values that we should exercise and be concerned about as we exercise authority and control in the life of our kids. And these 10 areas, at least in some of them, all of us get them wrong a lot. And God tells us how we can get them right. What I don't want you to expect is that I can take a deep dive into each one of these things. I'm going to lay out this grid and you'll know where you're weak and where you're strong. You'll know where you need work and where you don't. And I, by having this information, I'm hoping you'll be able to take a deep dive into the areas of your need. Does that make sense? So fathers, parents, don't exasperate your kids. Don't needlessly provoke them to anger. In this passage, God is teaching parents that they need to control themselves in using authority. You have the choice. You can exasperate them or not. You can provoke them to anger or not. You can do a lot of needless things that cause damage or not. I mean, we have to exercise self-control. We need to use our authority and influence what God is saying here. 
to benefit our kids, not to make our lives more convenient, more comfortable, or easier. And the truth is, very often, I, look at I've been a parent, and I have failed a ton. Often we use our authority to make life easy in the moment, but that can damage the long term. We have to control ourselves to teach them to control themselves. Too often, parents are asking their kids to be in control of themselves when the parents themselves aren't. That's a harmful equation. In this passage, God is not teaching that parents should never do anything that will make their children angry. I've had kids come in, God says you're not supposed to exasperate me and I'm exasperated. You know, it's like, well, go live somewhere else then, punk. You know, by the way, speaking of exasperating my children, but it's like, they try to use that. We, parents use Ephesians 6, 1, three verses ahead. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. I, look at, that's such a great truth that I know atheists who tell their kids, children, obey your parents and the Lord. I don't even believe in them, but you should do it. It's like crazy. But then kids abuse Ephesians 6, 4. Don't exasperate me. You're exasperating. God's not telling you you can never do anything that will make your children angry. I mean, don't put yourself in that prison. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a slave to your kids' emotions? It's not what God's doing here. And last, as an observation, God in this passage is teaching parents that they are capable of controlling whether they wrongly provoke their children's anger or not. God's asking us to properly control ourselves and what we do for the kids' benefit. He's not saying the kids should never be angry in response. They shouldn't be needlessly angry. All right, with that as background, I had to protect you parents from kids using that verse in the wrong way, right? Uh, I want to give you the important areas of control for parents. And I, I want to tell you right up front, I don't speak as an expert who's never crossed the line on these. I speak as a fellow traveler who's really blown it. Really. But along the way, as I've seen God's truth, he's able to He's been able to kind of correct me and reshape me, and I'm hoping these truths can help you as well. The first one I see is that, and this is a weird place to start, it seems, but it really flows out of Ephesians 6.4 really well. We must teach and allow our children to appropriately express their anger. You know, we're talking about a passage that deals with anger. Fathers, parents, don't exasperate your children. And yet, I believe very often... And if you look at our culture, you'll see it. Anger is the prevailing reality of most people's lives. And anger is so inappropriately expressed in this world. And I believe it comes down to this reason. We don't teach that anger is okay when properly expressed and properly dealt with. And because we don't teach it and we don't demonstrate it in the way we play house with anger... Our kids never learn it. And I found as a parent, it was a lot easier to just tell them to stop it than it was to teach them how to channel it and how to deal with it. But if we're going to use our influence for the right reasons to benefit our kids, we must teach and allow our children to appropriately express their anger by us through self-control appropriately expressing and dealing with our anger. 
And just so you can see it, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. God doesn't say, never be angry. He created this emotion. It puts us on crisis. It flags up, adrenaline out. It's really a positive emotion, but not the way we use it. He says, do not sin in your anger. And we need to teach our kids that, look, it. anger can be a positive emotion, but not the way we're using it in this house right now. And then we have to teach them how to deal with it, which God does here. In your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. As parents, isn't it easier to hide from the problems that are going on between us and our kids than to deal with them? It's easier. Go to your room. Do this. Shut up. I don't want to hear your room. But what we need to do is we need to appropriately deal with the tension that's creating the anger in that day or it's going to start traveling underneath as this damaging, exasperating reality. Parents, don't exasperate your children. There's another area of control we need to be concerned about. We must, and I think this is so big in our culture. In fact, I think it's really big in our culture. We must not overprotect or smother our children. Oh my gosh. You know what God's saying? If he was in the 21st century writing the scriptures, he'd say, it is not your job to create snowflakes, dudes. That's what he's saying. And by the way, just so you know, this isn't a liberal or conservative issue. This is a human issue. We overprotect our kids and we smother them. And in so doing, we incapacitate their ability to deal with the challenges they're going to face in their life to deal with the conflict they're going to face in their life, and to deal with the issues they're going to face in their life. And that's exactly what's going on. Now we're finding the whole country has to overprotect people because of it. It's crazy. My gosh. Just so you know, the greatest example of fatherhood in the universe is God the Father. He's a good, good father. We sang about that. He's a good, good father. And yet he doesn't overprotect or smother us. Look at James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, the difficult challenges that you face, develop perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may grow up, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If God overprotected and smothered us, we'd never grow up, any of us, and we need to follow his example in parenting, and I'm, it takes such self-discipline. I care about my kids and now grandkids more than anyone else on the planet, and I want to come to their rescue at every moment, financially and emotionally and relationally and all these different things, but I can't do it. I have to use self-discipline because they need to learn in appropriate ways to deal with life. And so we should protect them from stubbing their toes needlessly and, and breaking their ankles a little bit, but we shouldn't overprotect so that they can never experience the pain of a mistake. What we should do is hedge about the loss of life and then broken limbs. You know, we don't want it, but you know what I'm saying. My parents really believed in this, which is why I had four broken arms from being a crazy man growing up. But they couldn't protect me from getting on roofs and falling off and stuff like that. But don't overprotect and smother your kids. Next area of self-discipline, we must, we must not compare 
or show favoritism. And I've talked to a lot of people. Hey, do you have a favorite? No, I don't have a favorite. You know exactly what the right answer is. But here's the truth. It's natural to have a favorite because one of your kids, if you have more than one, and by the way, this talk isn't just for parents. It's directed at that. But if you're a person who has influence over anyone else in your life, all of these principles of parenting apply to you. So apply it to the marketplace. Apply it to your life. But, but with, your, with your kids, if you have more than one, you're going to be more attracted to one personality than the other. One is going to be easier than the other. I would never tell you who in our family, um, but it was Blake that was harder. Uh, it's like, uh, he, the, 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 the personality challenges and the wiring and how they are, it's just really tough, right, to deal with. But you can never show favoritism or compare. And let me just show you how, once again, God the Father deals with this. In John 21, Jesus told Peter, buddy, you're going you're gonna to suffer and die for following me. And Peter was kind of okay with that, you know. But then he saw another one of the disciples. We think it was John. And, and I don't know why misery loves company. But the first thing he thought of is, well, I hope he's going to have the same problem that I'm having, right? So when Peter saw this other disciple, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus, because God the Father doesn't compare us with each other, said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And as parents, as people with influence, here's what you need to understand. It is really easy to manipulate the behavior we want in the short term by comparing. Your brother got these kind of grades, why aren't you? Your sister never did that, why are you? Your brother never did this, why are you? This never happened here. Yeah, our neighbor's kids have never done that, why are you? They got kicked, blah, blah, blah. We, all we do is compare. And here's the problem. Every single kid has been wired uniquely. The minute you compare them with someone else, you're giving them an unfair judgment that they can't live up to. It just doesn't work. We can't compare. It's easier to parent all your kids the same way. It's just not good parenting because all your kids aren't the same. And so don't compare. And don't show favorites, which takes self-control. Look what God says, Romans 2.11. God does not show favoritism. Use self-control. Another area. We must practice what we preach. We must practice what we preach. Another way to say it would be we need to walk the walk that goes with our talk. We really have to. Because if we don't, you just need to know. All the authority and all the influence of your words lose all the authority and influence God's given you because your kids see how you live and they're not going to listen to you. This is why it's self-control, self-discipline. I have to live this way if I'm going to call them to live this way. This is what Paul did in a spiritual sense. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul gave lots of words, but he says, look it, you want to learn how to live? Just follow the pattern of my life. And you'll see it matches my words. In fact, he even went on and said, I'm going to send Timothy to help you. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, the way I lived, the way you should live. And you need to know the way I lived agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. 
One of the great curses in the parent-child relationship is that the parents use the authority they've been given to tell their kids what to do, but they themselves don't do it, and it undercuts everything. It controls them in the moment, but it loses power in the long term. Another area of control, big-time importance, we must acknowledge, and this is hard, it takes self-discipline, we must acknowledge our weaknesses and mistakes. I grew up in a generation where the parents were told and taught and practiced mostly hiding their weaknesses, hiding their flaws, hiding their failures, never owning up to them, never admitting to them. But what they didn't understand in that generation in that day was that we saw the flaws and we saw the failures and we saw the mistakes. And then we saw them pretending they hadn't made them or refusing to admit them. And what do you think that did to their credibility? I, I, what, if, what if, as a pastor teacher, I came into this environment and told you all the things God said, but it's clear and obvious to anyone around my life that I'm not trying to do any of that? Wouldn't, wouldn't that lose all credibility for my ministry? Of course it would. The same thing happens with parents when they're children and know this. Your children see almost everything. I, I, it was hard for me because I like to think that I'm right. I like for people to think I'm right and all of that. But the truth is I quite often sucked it up a big one when it came to some of these parenting values. And, and one of the greatest bonds that ever formed between me and my children was when I blew it big time and I sat on their bed that night and I said... I want you to know I blew that one big time. I mean, I should have never done that. That was not good father behavior. And I'm really sorry. And then deal with how we're going to go on from there and how they should hold me accountable to it the next time. It strengthened our relationship. It didn't hurt our relationship. And that's exactly what God says. Look at James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, your flaws, your failures to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There are a lot of unhealed relationships in our world. And a lot of it has to do with our inability to use self-discipline just to admit we were wrong. I think parents, this is one of your really big responsibilities. Same thing in the marketplace, right? As leaders, anyone you have influence with. Another area of control for parents, we must use our authority our power, our influence in their lives to affirm and encourage them. To affirm and encourage them. And, and I bring this out because the truth is, generally, parenting is such a difficult process that when things are going well, we're breathing and trying to catch up with ourselves. And it's not until the red flag of crisis comes up and things are going wrong and the kids are doing something wrong that we realize, okay, we have to power back up, fill up the tank, boom, here we go. You got to do this wrong. You're doing this wrong. We correct them, we rebuke them, we teach them, we correct and rebuke and we teach. But then when things straighten out again, what do we do? Then we, oh, we're touching our breath. Here's the problem. If you're going to build someone up, if you're going to support and strengthen their growth, they need affirmation and encouragement way more than they need correction and rebuke. In fact, your correction and rebuke will be rejected if you haven't affirmed and encouraged them along the way. 
God says this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you're doing. This is a relational principle. Use your authority and influence. Fight. You go, you don't know my kids. No, I don't. But I do know this. Every day there's something to affirm and encourage. Every day. And you need to use your authority and influence to do it so that when it comes time to correct and redirect, you've already got the deposits of affirmation and encouragement in there to give you the extraction now for some discipline. Another area of control. We must allow them to act their age. And I have to tell you, this was really hard for me as a parent because when I, I mean, I'm dealing with stuff, I'm dealing with stuff all day long and emotional and people and all that stuff, and I go home and I don't want them to act their age. I want them to give me the environment that I want. I, are you like that as a parent sometime or am I just a horrible human being and you guys are perfect? I, I just don't know what the status is. And so I would try and establish and act through this. We need to allow them to act their age. Look at what God says about that. 1 Corinthians 13, talking about a different issue, but it's laying out the principle. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Why? Because I was a child. And here in this world, we, it's weird what we do. In fact, I'm going to tell you what we do, two sides of it. With our firstborn, we expect them to act like they're 30 when they're two years old. All right, we expect you to take out the garbage, clean all this, do this, wash this, take care of this, turn the TV on, give me the remote, do this, get my slippers, do this, you know. And anytime they get emotionally offside, like a two-year-old does, what are you? Ah! And then here's a weird thing. Our youngest is born, and we let them act like a two-year-old until they're 35 years old. What is the deal with that? It's nuts. We need to... Allow them to act their age, which means demanding that they act their age at a certain point. You know that 32-year-old bearded person in your basement? You might want to be helping them move on. Yeah, I don't know. Just a thought. By the way, this is everyone over 40 clapping right now. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. It's good to have the support from all the old people. Uh, Another area that we need to control, we, and this takes self-discipline, we must listen to them. Now, I, as a parent, I was really into telling them what they should do and shouldn't do. I was into talking to them. When, when I would say with my kids, let's talk, they knew it wasn't let's talk, it was you're going to talk, right? But you need to know, and I've learned this by experience, kids will never care how much we know until they know how much we care, and they'll never know how much we care until we're willing to listen to them. And the second thing I've learned is that just because I think I have the answer to their problem, I could be very, very wrong until I listen to their view of the problem. Good parenting demands the self-discipline to listen. James 1.19, God gives us the principle, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How you doing here, parents? How you doing here, leaders in the marketplace? People with influence? Another area that we as parents need to control, we must establish clear guidelines and appropriate discipline. Not to control our kids, 
but to teach and motivate self-control for our kids. Look, if we don't put out any boundaries, where are they going to learn that they can step here, but they can't step here? Where are they going to learn that they can touch this, but not touch that? You have to have boundaries. And then you have to have appropriate discipline or they know the boundaries are a crock. You know, it's like, all right, you're going to get to sent to your room. Do you realize that many of you are thinking you're disciplining your kids and you're actually rewarding them? You know what your kids want? Out of the discussion with you and in their own space. Go sit in the corner for a while. Thank God. I don't have to deal with you anymore, lady. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, count. What? Counting's doing it. You know what most of us do? We count to 10, and then we count to 20, and then we count to 30, and we're counting all the way until they're out of the house, and then those kids aren't the kids they could have been. We need to establish clear guidelines and then use appropriate discipline, not inappropriate discipline. That's crazy. And, and it's not to control our kids. It's to teach them self-control. Roxanne and I did this with our kids. We're living in a day where everybody removes all their valuables from their house when they get a kid. What? The world has no valuables they have to learn not to touch? No wonder so many kids are robbing the bank. Oh, whatever, I don't know. I guess they're not, but they, you get the idea. So many kids are messed up. So we left all of our valuables out. Most valuable thing we had cost 10 bucks or so, so it might have been different than you, but we left all the things we considered valuable out. And we told the kids they couldn't touch. And of course, what did the kids do? Yeah, one time. They'd go to touch it. We'd watch them. We could watch them. They knew we said it. They'd go like this, you know, even as babies. <laughs> and they'd go like this, and we'd go, don't do it. And they'd touch it, you know, we'd appropriately make them know they crossed the line, appropriately. And then, next time they'd go up, they'd do this, and they'd go like this. And ultimately, here's what happened with our kids. They started reaching for it, and then they decided the agony of their disappointment is not as fun as touching that thing. And what did they just learn? Self-control, which is what they're going to need when they go to middle school and high school and college and into marriage and as adults. But most of us control our kids, but we don't teach them self-control, which is why they're so out of control. We've got to change our behavior. It takes self-discipline to do this. God does this, Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness so that we could be like him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We need to make sure we're helping them to not cross lines. And if you have no lines that you draw, you're not helping them at all. Next area of control, we must and this is big, we must never withhold love or shame them, ever. I mean, look at God, what he says love is, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, 7, and 8. Love is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. We must never withhold love or shame them. And I'm going to tell you, this takes self-discipline on our part because our kids do a lot of things that make us feel like not loving them in that moment, right? They hurt us, they betray us, they disappoint us. But we have to use self-control and realize I love them 
unconditionally. And I tried to tell my kids, Roxanne did as well. There is nothing you can do on this planet that would make us love you less than we love you right now. Nothing. But there's plenty that you could do that could disappoint us. But when you withhold love, you are shaming them. And when you are shaming them, you are certainly not loving them. That's rude. And true love never fails. Do you see how it's all about our self-discipline and control? All I'm going to ask you is, how you doing? And the application to this, this idea of parenting comes down to this idea. If we want to be practicing good parenting, if we want to do it in a way that God honors and God instructs, then we need to focus on controlling ourselves as we help our children learn to control themselves. This is what the home's about. Parents learning and practicing self-control as they help their kids learn and practice self-control. And that's why Ephesians 6.1 and Ephesians 6.4 are right there in that same passage. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. What do both require? Self-control. And what's it demand? That we build it on the right foundation. If you go back to Ephesians 5.21, which starts this whole relational passage, you know what God says? You want successful relationships? You have to submit to one another. And what does that take? To say, I'm not going to live for me, I'm going to live for you and for them to do it. What's that take? Self-control and discipline. No wonder our relationships are messed up in this world. No wonder our families are messed up in this world. No wonder our kids aren't learning these things in our world. But we can change that. So... Here's the action step. In fact, I want to tell you what's coming. I'm going to give you an action step that I think every single one of us can process and take out of here and benefit from. Even those of you who aren't parents in your relationships where you have influence. And, and then I'm going to give you two things that you need to remember because, quite frankly, if you, you could respond wrongly to this talk if I don't remind you of two things. And then I'm going to close out this talk. And I want you to hang with me because we have a very important opportunity that we want to point out to you at the end of at this service. But right now, here's the action step. What do I do with this stuff you've just talked about, Brad? You should honestly evaluate your parenting. You should honestly, not, not, not oh, I'm doing great. You know, that's, you know, come on. Honestly evaluate your parenting. Honestly evaluate how you use influence when you have it in other people's lives. Jesus told us the problem. These are Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Apply this to parenting. Often, we parents aren't working on ourselves. We're just trying to enforce that our kids work on themselves. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And all the while, they're going, there's a plank in your eye. Effective parenting comes when our kids know that we see our weaknesses and flaws and that we're struggling to take the journey of working on them and then we help them to take the same journey. That's great parenting. Now, a talk like this, I wrote the talk, right? So I had to deal with each of these principles individually. And, and a talk like this can really heap a lot of guilt out there, right? 
Some of you are sitting there going, oh my gosh. And I, I feel it the same way. But I don't give these principles so you'll feel guilty. I give these principles because this is where we need to go as parents in our use of influence. And so here's what I want you to remember. Yeah, we've all failed. We've all messed up even in this area of parenting. But, but remember, forgiveness is only a prayer away. Your, your failure isn't final. Forgiveness is only a prayer away. That's why Jesus came and died. He took, he took on that cross all of the baggage of our darkness and failures and sin. And then he was died and they buried him with it. And then he walked out in newness of life so he could give us a brand new life. You don't have to carry the guilt, but you don't have to continue to heap up more and more guilt either. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I mean, he can take the guilt away and help us to walk anew, and that's where I want to encourage you to be. Just before I give you the last principle and then uh, stop the talk and give you this last opportunity, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? Just bow in a word of prayer for a moment. And for those of you who are already followers of Jesus, here's what I encourage you to do. I know there are areas of weakness in your life that we've talked about. Why don't you do what Jesus says to do here? Confess your sins, identify them, evaluate them, give them to him, and let him cleanse you from that. Ask him to empower you to walk forward from here. But some of you are here right now. You're here in Plymouth, you're in Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Brighton, maybe somewhere around the world watching, and you've never experienced Jesus' forgiveness at all. This is your moment. You can confess your sin and experience the power of his forgiveness. So as others are praying, take my prayer right now and use my words as your words to God, okay? Inside, not outside, not, not vocally, but in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I confess my sins, my failures, my mess-ups. But in this moment, I'm asking you to forgive me because I believe that you died for my sin and then rose again to give me new life and I'm trusting you for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me just now, that prayer, I really encourage you, let us know. We wanna give you information about next steps you can take. We wanna give you a Bible and all you have to do is text us, all of us text. Send a text to the number 313131 and the only message you send is the name of our church, Northridge, one word, Northridge and we'll send you that Bible and that information. And once you remember that forgiveness is only a prayer way, then you wake up, at least I do, and I go, okay, I get it. You've forgiven me for what I blew in the past, but God, I'm gonna blow it again in the future. How am I gonna live up to this? And here's what I want you to remember. You can't do it alone, but you can do it with him. And remember this, help is only a prayer away. It's only a prayer away. All we have to do is ask. In fact, one of my favorite passages regarding my need for help is Psalm 121, 1 and 2. You as parents, man, as you're getting into the tension of your parenting and you're struggling with it, this should be your passage. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? What's that person saying? The person saying, I need help. I need help. And then look at the answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I can't tell you how much bad I avoided by looking up and saying, God, I need help, and you're the one I need to help me. It changes relationships. It changes life. It'll change you. So it's true. Parenting is not easy. 
but it's worth it when we seek to do it God's way. And I hope that you'll join me in doing that. In fact, I, I don't always ask for response, but I'm going to ask it this way. If you're committed to joining me in using influence this way, would you just kind of give God a hand at the end of this thing? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Cool. All right. Now, just before you go, then, I, I really want to encourage you with this, and I hope you'll stick with me just for a minute. And this is at Northridge Brighton, Northridge Grosseil, Northridge Plymouth right here. We are committed as a church family to helping you continue to grow spiritually. And we want you to remember that the goal of growing spiritually is to become like Jesus, to conform to his image, to be like him. And you need to know the one thing that defined Jesus more than anything else is that he did not live for himself and live for other people to serve him. He lived for others and to serve them. That's how he lived. And yet, Many times, believers keep putting themselves in environments where even spiritually they can be served and they can consume and they can be benefited and they never take that next step to serve others. And there are lots of reasons. Some just don't want to. Many, it's because I don't know how to do it. How, how do I do that? Well, we can't make you want to, but if you do want to be like Jesus and to serve, we can certainly tell you how. And so this weekend, we're calling it you know, the next step into serving. It's a volunteer opportunity. And I want you to know, this isn't because we need more people working. We have thousands of volunteers. This is because to grow like Jesus, you need to serve. You need to serve. And so this weekend here at Northridge Plymouth, we're going to have right here in the auditorium, you don't even have to leave the auditorium to do that. Talk about an easy next step. We're going to have, and there's a map, all kinds of different ministries represent in this auditorium. And you can read the number and what ministry that is. And anything you're interested, go to that. And they can help you get connected. And we know some of you are going, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. So look at number eight down there. Not sure? Look at if you have no clue what you want to do, but you're thinking you'd like to do something, go to not sure. You know, it's like, I'm not sure. Well, we'll tell you what you're supposed to do. You're going to watch. No, never mind. Uh, we'll help you to discover what might be helpful to you. At our regionals at Northridge Grosseal and Northridge Brighton, you just go into the lobby and you'll find all the ministries represented there. Here's the thing that I want you to remember. There's no better way to be an example to your children than by serving others. No better way. In fact, we have families here that they started serving as a couple, the, the married couple, and then their kids started serving alongside with them because of their example. It's life-changing when parents start serving. Start serving. And remember, our goal is to be like Jesus, and this is the truth. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve. All right? So as soon as we dismiss, you can find the signs in this auditorium, and Northridge Regionals can do the other. And here's how I want to end. Next week, we're going to continue the journey of relationships with the series Me, We, Us, and I'm going to take another step into God's truth about raising kids, Parenting 102. It'll have relevance to wherever you are in life, even if you're not a parent, but we're going to take a deep dive into this, and I hope you'll come. See you next time. So glad you're here. Thanks, everybody. to